You're tuned in to the Own the Rhythm podcast, the Blueprint series. I am Philip Llanos, your host, a content strategist and audio engineer with a background in digital marketing and the entertainment industry, helping established small business owners and entrepreneurs like you get your voice heard, build authority by being an author, Own the Rhythm. So I want to tell you a little bit about the author and professor that I'm speaking with today. His name is David Cadavy. He's got a top 20 Amazon best-selling book named Design for Hackers, and he's the host of his own podcast named Love Your Work. Now, prior to writing Design for Hackers, David led design at two Silicon Valley startups, freelance for clients such as Odesk, PB Works, and User Voice, and launched numerous startups of his own, none of which failed hard enough to be worthy of mention in this bio. David's work has won international awards that only design snobs have ever heard of, and his free email courses have taught over 100,000 people the fundamentals of good design. David's been featured on The Huffington Post, Inc.com, Quartz, The Observer, Upworthy, TechCrunch, Lifehacker, South by Southwest, and TEDx. And now, without further ado, I give to you David Cadavy. David, thank you so much for coming on here. And uh, I think that you are the right person to be talking to because you are a published author and a damn good one at that with top 20 now in Amazon, which is an accomplishment. Yeah, it did. Uh, it made it in the top 20 on opening day. So that was pretty exciting. I didn't expect that. I work with people in being able to help them create their podcasts. And one of the things that I often get resistance with is that they don't even know where to start, where to, how to generate a topic. Uh, they don't have the confidence or, or they feel like it's going to be a lot of accountability, a lot of time. And, uh, and getting past that resistance is something that I know that you've worked on thoroughly for creative work. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. Sure. Uh, I can use my own podcast as an example. Uh, it's In some ways, it's not the best example because I did postpone starting a podcast for maybe four years. Wow. In, you know, these, you know, even longer. I, I mean, I remember fantasizing about it for the first time, you know, like when I, there were first podcasts in 2004, 2005, when I was listening to podcasts then, thinking about, oh, maybe I should start a podcast. Nah, it's too much work. And then that kind of dragged on for 10 years before I finally started a podcast. But there were mental tricks that I employed to to get myself going. So one was, I basically decided I was going to start the podcast. And so I sent out an email to somebody who I thought would accept an, an interview and say, okay, I'm starting a podcast and let's schedule an interview. So there I scheduled the interview. Now, at that point, I didn't even have a name for the podcast. I didn't have artwork for the podcast. I didn't necessarily know exactly what my podcast was going to be about. I just kind of had a feeling of the people that I wanted to interview, the type of content that I want wanted. I had listened to enough podcasts so that I knew that the podcast that I wanted to listen to didn't exist. So that's why I made my podcast. I mean, I, I to this day feel 100% prepared to quit if I ever come across a podcast that is you know exactly the podcast that I wanted to listen to, which is why I started my podcast. So I sent out the email and did that interview and then did a lot of brainstorming, had like wor a working name for the podcast. Then I experimented with editing it myself and kind of doing dry run 
casual recording of an intro, cutting together music before I even had any rights to the music, just to kind of see what it felt like. And then this is employing that that idea of doing the part of, pro- of the project that is going to inspire you and motivate you to to do the rest. So that's what I did. And then eventually things fell into place and I, I've had enough experience doing other smaller projects that are creative projects where there are a lot of these unanswered questions in, in the beginning. To I, I had enough experience with that to at least have a feeling for, okay, what can I handle? Uh, what questions can I leave unanswered for a certain amount of time? And and what what questions can I kind of make up as I go? So then eventually I did, you know, come up with a name and and uh, artwork, which I've ended, I've revised that artwork within like a few months after I was done. What is this podcast about? That's a constant, constant journey. It's okay to have a lot of unanswered questions. And I liken it to improv. So I've taken a lot of improv classes, lived in Chicago. So Second City was there and I could take improv classes there and uh, took improv classes in other places. And so like one of the things that you learn is to be able to speak in front of your classmates. You got to start a scene now and you're just making it up as you go and, and you're yes anding like your scene partner indicates that you're working in a pizza shop. And then, so yeah, that's your reality. Now you're working in a pizza shop and you're just building upon that concept. It's an creative work is like that. It's improvisational. You have to be ready to think on your feet and, and yes, and the things that are going on. And that's where good work comes from, I think. Okay, yeah, it's sort of uh, the, the old entrepreneur mantra of take a leap of faith and build a parachute on the way down. Yeah, in some ways it is. I think it's really finding places where you can take little leaps and you have some idea of where you're going. I, re- I recall you saying something that I thought was brilliant. And uh, you, you had highlighted that uh, oftentimes an entrepreneur may bask in the I'm an entrepreneur energy and sort of in a reflected state of glory. Yeah, I mean, it's a real psychological phenomenon, basking in reflective glory. No matter how experienced you are, you're going to fall into it every once in a while. Oh, maybe you can train yourself out of it. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that I've experienced basking in reflective glory. Maybe I experience it a little bit now and then, but probably less than I used to. It's this idea of feeling good for the accomplishments, for accomplishments that you are associating yourself with um, kind of secondhand. So it, it might be because you know you live in Los Angeles and you think because you li- because you live in Los Angeles, you feel like you're a movie star. <laughs> you're an aspiring actor and you haven't gone to any auditions and you haven't been taking any classes to improve your craft. And But still somehow in your mind, you've kind of convinced yourself you're a movie star because you live in Los Angeles or because you call yourself an actor. That can be useful and inspiring and it can help propel you. But if you're not careful, next thing you know, you wake up and you're 85 years old and you're on your deathbed and you haven't done anything. One of the most powerful elements of creativity, which is being able to give and being able to think about the way that you're helping somebody. I actually had a conversation with Seth Godin on my podcast not too long ago and he was talking about you know, the greatest antidote to fear. And I would say also the greatest antidote to you know, like writer's block or thought leader's block is generosity. If you think about who you're trying to help and what problem they have and and what it is that you have that might help them, then it starts to feel pretty selfish if you're if you're like, oh, I, I can't I can't think of anything or or yeah, I'm I'm afraid. It's good to just recon just constantly remind yourself to reconnect 
with how are you going to help somebody? If if you think about, oh, I'm not an expert. It it, it can be a, it can be a um, a disarming thing to say. Even is 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 to say, yeah, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but here's what I did. I did this and that and the other thing, and here's what happened. And if and it it seems like it's a it's a magical phrase to use to not only escape your own BS, but to also drop the guard of people who might be listening to you skeptically. It's like, oh, this person says that they're not an expert. Oh, but th- those experiences and those observations that this person has are are pretty powerful. Like, that's that's good. I just learned something. If I remember correctly, you said uh, self-deception is feeling just fine about not doing what you set out to do as a goal. Yes, I think self-deception, I mean, we're constantly self-deceiving. I, I, I've really admire the work of uh, Dan Ariely, who is a behavioral scientist that I had the pleasure of working with a little bit. And he's got a great book called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And there's just some fascinating studies in there, such as they would give people these sort of, they were number puzzles, very pretty easy number puzzles, but they didn't have enough time to possibly finish them. And then they would say, you know, in one condition, they would say, oh, okay, well, you know, when you're done, go back, go to the back of the room, um, tally up your score and uh, put it in the paper shredder and then pay yourself for the number of answers you got right. And, you know, they compared that with people who they actually did uh, check their scores and stuff. And like everybody cheated and they didn't cheat like a lot. Like, you know, there's a, there's a few people who are, who are kind of psychopathic who say, oh, well, this is a situation where I can cheat and I can get paid the maximum number for getting all the answers right. I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of that. Almost nobody does that. People cheat just a little bit. And the the reason they cheat just a little bit is their own self-perception, is that if they cheated a lot, well, then they might feel bad about themselves. They would see themselves as a liar. None of us sees ourselves as a, a liar. But what probably happened was that there was self-deception going on where they, maybe they're checking their answers and they're like, ah, uh, you know, that was what I was going to put for that one or... Uh, you know, I, I got a late start. I'll give myself an extra couple or something like that. These little sort of white lies that that m- keep you feeling like you're an honest person, but in fact, you're actually cheating a little bit, um, which is a hard thing for a lot of people to hear, I think. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to admit. I don't think I, I wouldn't have cheated in, in that study, but the truth is it probably would have. Who knows? Because everybody did. Now, I think that that is important and relevant to getting work done, to getting creative work done, especially because creative work is really uncomfortable. You know, you've got this thing that you you want to make, but there's always something going on that you could decide, oh, I'm just going to check my email. I'm going to look at Facebook for a little while. I'm, I'm kind of feeling under the weather today. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to write this thing. You know, there's all these different ways that you can self-deceive and prevent yourself from actually doing the work. I actually, I I really liked a metaphor that you dropped on me. It's like learning to ride a bike with only the neighborhood kids to guide you. I guess we were talking about how the older neighborhood kids who knew how to ride a bike were like, oh, it's easy. You just get up and you just ride. And, you know, you're you're thinking, how is it even possible? You're just going to fall over, obviously. It doesn't make sense that riding a bike would work. And then someday, one day you eventually get it. And now you've forgotten what it's like to not ride a bike. And so, so many things like that when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to creative endeavors are, are like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's so scary. It's so daunting before you 
write your first blog post or publish your first podcast episode or write your first book. But once you do it, and once it's out there, suddenly your entire relationship with it just changes. It's alive and it's real. And you're on the other side of that scary barrier that there was before. And so now it doesn't seem so scary and daunting like it did before. I know that your new book that that you've just finished the first draft for has a secret mission. And I think that it's so relevant to anyone looking to start a podcast. Yeah, I think that's that's very easy to get distracted, especially in this day where there's just instant access to information all over the world and people are having discussions and arguments about all sorts of different things. And keep in mind that as they're doing that, they're putting money in somebody else's pocket because these platforms are run off of user data and attention and selling advertising and stuff. Not that they're not useful, not that I don't love Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, but like they really, they want your attention and there's certain things that are going to get your attention and they're biased towards those things. If you're going to get in an argument with somebody about something, Facebook loves that. You spend more time on Facebook. They can sell more advertising. And because of that, the outlet that creates the information is incentivized to make that information more controversial, more rage-inducing, prod of the ugly parts of humanity to get people to respond so they can make more money. So if you ignore that, if you're able to ignore some of that and instead concentrate on what you can do with your attention, think of the opportunity cost lost. What you can do with your attention how you can take your own personality and point of view and and experiences and turn them into some piece of art that touches other people and inspires them. That's pretty amazing. I just want to give people the tools necessary to break free of the distractions and make their masterpieces. Which is why I want to be able to give people practical ways to get into it. And obviously nobody loves to hear the words, it's hard work. So in the name of just getting people started, what is one of the top practical ways you could offer for as an author who's been published and a, and, a, and a serial podcaster who's just really put together a nice body of work with the people that you've interviewed? And what's the best way you would say just step one is this? All right. I, I think this wraps up into some of the things that we've talked about, Philip. We've talked about self-deception. We've talked about learning and kind of getting on the other side of that barrier and making things real so you can actually respond to them. And then we've, we've talked about uh, what the sort of opportunity costs of, of your time and attention uh, concentrating on things other than you know, putting your work out into the world. So I think the number one thing is to choose some kind of a daily deliverable. So you can prevent yourself from self-deceiving. It should be a ridiculously easy daily deliverable. So if you're just starting to write, a thousand words a day would be the wrong choice because you might get through one day, two days, three days of a thousand words a day, but one day you're going to wake up and there's going to be a hole in your sock and oh, you've got to run to the store right now and buy new socks or something. You're going to make an excuse about why you can't write your thousand words. And the the truth is because it's painful and, and it it's you just can't handle it anymore. So if you were a beginning writer, I would say a hundred words a day. Now, what can you do with a hundred? Like, there's it's it's so short, but it's so short that it makes it difficult for you to make an excuse. Now, then you pick a time and a, a time 
each day and you do that daily deliverable, one thing you're you're shipping, you're you're gonna you're putting it out on Medium, you're putting it out on a blog. Don't worry about what the blog is called or who you're gonna host it with. Just pick. It doesn't matter. Just get it out there. And suddenly you get it out there, and something a flip switches in you. The first time you ship something, um, suddenly you know how to ride the bike, or suddenly it's not as scary as it used to be. You don't. You you wonder why you needed training wheels before. And so if you're able to do that every day, then you're building a habit. And then maybe you're able to bump up to... Because building the habit itself is an accomplishment. So that's why you pick the ridiculously easy daily deliverable. Now, then after a little while, you're able to bump it up. Maybe you're doing 250 words a day or 200 words a day or 150. And then you just keep going and you start... And don't be afraid to repeat yourself. Write the same darn post over again, but just from memory. And you'll probably say it differently and better than you did before. Now you're putting something out there every day. You have a habit. And just by virtue of having that habit, it pushes away some of the distractions and other things that um, you might have used that time and attention for. And it grows like a crack in a sidewalk, like the Grand Canyon. It just keeps growing. It really does work because I, th- I think uh, there's, a, there's a great book uh, that a lot of people are familiar with by the name of uh, The Four Agreements that certainly changed my life at the age of 14 when I first came across it. And it, it, it has the, the first agreement and you got to ask yourself why it's the first one. It says, you know, be impeccable with your word, which can be interpreted as, you know, keeping your word to yourself first and foremost. And, and I think that really goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Yeah, and you start small enough that you can... Be consistent with your your own sense of integrity, your own sense of wanting to do what you say you'll do, and uh, that's something that's a, that's a skill that you have to build. Uh, you don't want to overdo it because you can burn yourself out. You can punish yourself if you set out too big. Just so everyone's aware, you know, David is one of the rare few people who actually get back to you when you reach out to them, and I think the best way would be Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's Twitter's great. I'm very active on Twitter at Cadavy. K-A-D-A-V-Y. Amazing. And I'll, I'll be sure to have that in the show notes too. Uh, so David Cadavy, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Philip. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel more confident about the possibility of you having your own podcast. If that's a yes, take a moment to leave a five-star review for this one. Because you can. You see, good content is just knowing the purpose, the channel, and the audience. And just know that building your business brand and content assets is never a one-person job. Also, send over those questions and suggestions for episodes by going to ownTheRhythm.com. Get your voice heard and get in touch with me today. Own the Rhythm.